Dear Lord, we thank You for the cup of the new covenant that represents the blood of Christ that has been shed that we might know salvation, that we might know forgiveness, that we might know life. If we give You praise for this time. And Lord, I pray that this morning You would open the eyes of our hearts that we might receive from You. Lord, give us understanding and clarity uh, in, in a difficult world, in a difficult life. And I pray, Father, that uh, as we see as You see, as we understand as You understand, that, God, we will be conformed into Your image, that we might bring You glory. In the name of Jesus, we pray these things. Amen. If you have your Bibles, we're going to be in Luke chapter 14 and in Luke chapter 9 here in just a moment. And uh, we are continuing in a short series uh, on hard teachings of Christ. And I call them uh, jawbreakers because uh, if you just read them right on the surface and just try to uh, put them in your mouth and digest them immediately, it's, you could lose a tooth. I mean, you know what I mean? It's, it's like painful if you just look at it on the surface and you don't take some time uh, to kind of gnaw on it or... Uh, forgive the analogy of a jawbreaker, to kind of suck on it for a moment. You know what I mean? It just takes some time. You can't just hit this head on and go, I got that. I'm gone. I mean, when Jesus says uh, you must hate your father and mother or sister or brother, even your own life, I mean, that's not one I go, okay. <laughs> uh, you know, because that's just a hard message unless you already do that. So, I mean, and and then Jesus has some things to say about that as well. Okay, so... Uh, as we look at these passages, it's important that you kind of listen and kind of work with me here. And, and Jesus often would say these things. He kind of throw out these zingers whenever the crowd started getting really big. You know, he's, he's healing people and he's speaking as no one has ever taught before. And so these large crowds swell up and they all think they're going to follow him. And then he'll turn around and he'll go, he'll say something like this. He'll go, Foxes have holes, birds have the nest. If you follow me, you won't have a place to li- you won't have a place to live. You know, and I mean, he just keeps walking, and they go, "What?" Or, you know, a lot of people are following him; and they're ready to be our disciples. And you go, uh, "You can't be my disciple unless you uh, eat my flesh and drink my blood." You know, and I mean, he just he continually says things like this, and, and so many times people will say, you know, almost universally, regardless of what religion or what faith you are, people go, "I believe Jesus was a good teacher. Jesus is a great teacher," but. Then we have statements like this, except for those. Those I don't understand. Those I don't get. They don't make any sense to me. And and Jesus has some very, very difficult teachings if we're just going from the teaching perspective. I mean, even the Sermon on the Mount, I mean, that's that's hard, you know, uh, to turn the other cheek and to be be meek and uh, to uh, just basically, you know, live a life that's very difficult uh, to be meek and humble and mild-mannered. And for loving those who who spitefully use me, I mean, those are hard statements. And if I just try to go do those, I'll be overwhelmed. So I think Jesus had more in mind here when he's making these statements. I think he's got something to say that maybe we're sometimes missing in our culture and our generation. And, And basically what he's saying is, I want you to be my disciple But there's some things that you need to glean. There's some things that you need to understand coming into this marriage, coming into this relationship. This is not all uh, Pollyanna, hunky, Pollyanna, uh, that's just a new thing I made up. Pollyanna, hunky-dory, there are some difficult times ahead of you. This is a total commitment that you're getting ready to make. And, And these things that I'm about to give you, they're not options. 
So when we look at this, I think there's some lessons about discipleship we can learn. Now, when we look at this passage and we read it in just a moment, we know this too. We, I don't think anybody honestly believes that Jesus wants us to hate our parents and to hate our wife and hate our kids. Okay, I don't think anybody really believes that. So we, we, and we know that certainly from Scripture because Jesus even chastises the Pharisees who are not taking care of some of their aged parents and talking about how they need to honor them. And we know from 1 Timothy 5.8 that we're worse, we're worse than an infidel if we don't take care of our families. So there, the, the New Testament is chock full of statements about the importance of loving our families. So we know that's not what's going on. We know that this is a biblical idiom to some degree. It, it's much like... Uh, if you go back to the Old Testament in Genesis chapter 30, when you see Jacob who married, um, first of all, Leah. He got tricked into marrying Leah, and then he marries Rachel. And it says, in some of your translations, it will say, uh, he hated Leah and he loved Rachel. Uh, a, lot, a lot of now with our, our new languages and new translations, it will say uh, that he loved Leah. Uh, or, in, in, or passed over or something of that nature, and depending on what translation you're looking at. But he didn't really hate Leah. It's just that he had a passion for Rachel. That was the love that permeated all his other relationships. And so when we look at this statement, I believe that's one of the things, at least, I think there are multiple things that Jesus is saying. But one of the things he's saying is we must have the proper ordering and that our love for God should permeate every relationship that we have. Now, with that understanding, let's look at this text right here in Luke chapter 14. Let's start with this, and then, then we'll look at Luke chapter 9. They're both difficult texts if we simply look at them on the surface. Uh, in Luke chapter 14, if we went back to the beginning of chapter, we would see that Jesus uh, talks about a cost. The cost It's going to cost you your religion. It's going to cost you uh, recognition. It's going to cost you steps up the social ladder. It's going to cost you your excuses. And then he says it's going to cost you basically here your family approval. It may cost your family approval. If you have a high regard for what your family thinks, and I ask you to make uh, a bold move, a sacrificial, uh, a sacrificial commitment, some will not understand. And in a patriarchal society where family was everything, your identity was your family, these are difficult sayings indeed. Jesus says here as we begin in chapter 14, verse 25, large crowds were following Jesus and turning to him, he said, he turns around and he says, if anyone comes to me and does not hate his father and mother, his wife and children, his brothers and sisters, even his own life, he can't be my disciple. And anyone who does not carry his cross and follow me cannot be my disciple. First of all, uh, we see discipleship is necessary. I believe there's the mentality today a lot of times that we think, you know, there are two types of Christians. There are Christians who, um, who are devoted to Christ, who love Christ. They may make mistakes, but, I mean, they're full on board. They're fully committed. And then there are people who are Christians, but, you know, I'm just kind of on the sideline. I don't want to get too carried away with this thing. I'm just, I'm just here. I'm just kind of a show-up kind of Christian. I have a mental acceptance of the belief system, and that's kind of it for me. And Jesus is basically saying that that's not really an option. I, I'm asking you to pick up a cross, which in fact is a death sentence. I'm asking you to pick up a cross and follow me. So the whole thing of you just saying in name only, that's not an option. Matter of fact, discipleship is necessary. 
It's necessary. Let's turn and let's look at um, an example here in Luke chapter 9. Turn with me back just a couple of chapters here in Luke chapter 9. This is another one of those difficult passages that you'll read and you'll look at and you'll go, What? Jesus, you're just being completely unreasonable here. Let's look at it. Luke chapter 9, verse 57. And as they were walking along the road, a man said to him, I'll follow you wherever you go, Jesus. And Jesus said, Foxes have holes, birds have nests. But the Son of Man has no place to lay his head. Another man said, uh, another, he said, follow me. But the man replied, Lord, first let me go and bury my father. Now, that seems like a reasonable request. If you look at it on the surface, does it? Let me go bury my father. And what does Jesus say? Jesus says, let the bed, de- dead bury their own dead. But you go and proclaim the kingdom of God. Wow. What's going on here? Well, first of all, let's have a little bit of historical background, a little biblical background so that we know what's going on. And, and there are actually three or four different interpretations, but I'm just, I think only two of them have any value whatsoever, so I'm going to give you those two. All right, the first one is this. Some commentators and some scholars would say he had an aged father, and so it was customary that you take care of your family. And um, so when my father dies, then I'm coming. Now, that might be one year, two years, three years, ten years. Remember, Jesus knows I'm not going to be here a whole lot, more, a whole lot longer. It's time to come follow me now. Now, what is probably what my take on this would be, what's a probably more likely scenario is this. Uh, in Judaism, particularly in the first century Judaism, whenever someone would die, within 24 hours, you would have to bury them. Remember, they didn't have the embalming techniques at that time and you wait longer than 24 hours, you're really not, it's, it's going to be bad. Everybody's going to be hating life, literally, okay? So they would be buried within 24 hours. Uh, there would be a ceremony and you would do the burial and you would uh, probably put it in some kind of cave or a carved place of stone or rock, something of that nature usually. Uh, if you didn't have enough money, you would bury them in the dirt. But whatever the scenario, there would, there would be a burial within the first 24 hours and, and a ceremony. And then there would be seven days of mourning. And then it was proper Jewish custom during that time that the next 12 months were considered mourning. And it was a time where the flesh completely decomposed. And during that decomposure time, by the way, some Jews, some sects of Judaism went as far as to say you would not be fit and ready for the resurrection until all your flesh had decomposed. So uh, you had to be completely decomposed uh, before you could enter in the next resurrection. Now, some believe that. And if that was the fact, then Jesus uh, probably had an additional message. Look, that's not part of the salvation process. That's not necessary. But, but nevertheless, uh, after the 12 months, uh, then the oldest son would come and take the mother or the father, whatever the case may be, and take the bones and put them in an ossuary. Now, we've heard about ossuaries over the last three or four years. And, Cameron and some of these yahoos have said, oh, we found the bones of Jesus in an ossuary. Yeah, whatever. Okay. Uh, they're, they're, you know, we're, we're making money saying things like that of nature, but we know there were ossuaries during that time. And so many would, would, matter of fact, say, you know what? This year would be that time in between the death and the final burial of the bones, so to speak. Uh, that's probably the likely case scenario. And Jesus is saying, you know, not that you can't go do your burial. He's saying, you know what? You've got this 12 months of uh, procession or 
our supposed morning, look, come follow me now. I'm calling you. I'm telling you to come now. And then there's one right after it we won't, we won't read. And they says, Can, let me go back and tell my family goodbye. I love the way Eugene Peterson puts it. He says, let me go get my family in order. Let me get all my affairs set and everything taken care of and basically get their blessing. And he's saying, you know what? Come follow me. You're not going to get to get your life all right and all fixed and everything in order and everybody agreeing that you're ready. You, you come and follow me. Come and commit yourself to me. Now, go back to our text in uh, Matthew chapter 14. We see that discipleship is necessary. And Jesus is giving the whole message right up front. He's not like, you know, you know I just went on a trip a couple of weeks ago. And I like to get online and, and book the best deal. So I'll get on Hotwire or whatever it is. And, and I'll book something and I'll see the hotel price, and it'll say like $69, and then a car for like $29 a day, and I'll think, this is a great deal. And then I go to pay for it, you know, and my hotel's like $147, my car's like $89, and I'm going, what is this? Like, this is ridiculous, this is like double what you said the price was. Well, you got an 18% tax here, and then you got a usage fee, and look in the mirror twice fee, and I mean, all these things... And I'm going, what, is, what the heck is this? Where are all these coming from? And, you know, and, and, and so it's not the real price. And, you know, and if you ask them, they'll say, sir, it's in the small print. Well, I can't even see the regular size print hardly anymore. And what do you mean the small print in there? And all that stuff's in there. It's like kind of a bait and switch. Like, come on in. It's $69. I mean, if they put the real price, I'd go to Holiday Inn. So, I mean, they just they kind of suck you in. And Jesus is the opposite of that. The exact opposite. Let me just give it to you all, all up front. You know, foxes have holes, birds have nets. Come follow me. You won't have a place to sleep. I mean, Jesus is just right up front. He shares the necessity of being a disciple and that it will cost. And the next thing we see about following Jesus, about being a disciple, is that it's unpredictable. He goes, your father, your mother, what is he talking about? Your your sisters, your brothers, your, your children. What is he talking about here? Well, he's saying, you know what? If, if you follow me, uh, it's going to be unpredictable because you don't know how everybody's going to respond and you don't know exactly what's going to happen here. You don't know how things are going to work out. I can't promise you that it'll all be easy, that it'll all be safe, that everything will go just like you think. It, it's going to be somewhat unpredictable. I can't tell you, matter of fact, all the cost involved, but I can just tell you that it's high. That this is a major commitment that you're making. In, in that day and age, if you think about it, your identity was completely known by your family. Your family name was what you gave the highest allegiance to. So, uh, if whatever you did, you wanted to make sure you brought honor to the family name and and you wanted to make sure you had complete allegiance. And so in, in a lot of ways, it, it had kind of become a form of idolatry. It was the primary place you would consult. It was the first thought on your mind. It was the primary cause, the teleos, so to speak, of what you would decide about your future. I mean, your parents would decide who your mate was, and you were often expected to go ahead and continue in the family business and then take over the land. Your your uh, identity, your security, I mean, they didn't have a social security program back then. I'm not sure we have one now, but they did, certainly didn't have one back then. It was your family. You know what I mean? It was your family was your social security program. So you didn't want to do anything uh, to cause problems there because 
that's what you were dependent upon. It was your identity. It was your security. And, and for Jews often, it was almost their salvation. They believed, if I'm a Jew in good standing and honorable standing, uh, then, you know, God accepts me. And Jesus is making a pretty radical statement, and he's confronting that idolatry mindset here. And he's saying, you know what? You're not just coming to me so that you have a better family. You're not just coming to me so you, your children will be more well-behaved. You're not just coming to me because you think maybe it'll make life easier. No, there's a cost involved here. And it's unpredictable what will occur. And, you know, we went back and we looked at some of the early century missionaries. I mean, even in the last few hundred years, if you go back and look at David Livingstone's life and just the enormous amount it cost him and his family. And Adonai Judson and William Carey. I mean, just go on and you see the cost it was unpredictable, but it cost these guys a lot to follow Christ. Next point is that discipleship is should be heartfelt. I came up with that word. That's kind of a difficult word to explain, but I almost use the word passionate. But so many times we think that, you know, I'm going to learn this set of facts, and I'm going to learn the details of the Bible, and somehow that's discipleship. It's really interesting that Jesus really never addresses the scholarship of Scripture as far as becoming a discipleship. It's a lifestyle. It's a life-giving. And it's a passion. It's a heart that we give to Him. And it's interesting. He, he uses these different forms of love here, these different relationships. And He says, if anyone comes to Me and does not hate his father, mother, his wife, his children, his sisters, and his brothers. We starts off and he says, my father and my mother. Well, that's storge love, that uh, familia love. And then he talks about his children. Well, that's another type of love. The way I love my child is not the same way I love my parents. The way I love my spouse is different from the way I love my children. And he's saying, you know what? I want you to love me with every kind of love. All your heart, all your soul, all your might. I want you to love me. And really... The question is not, uh, am I going to love my family less? It's how can I love God even more? God's not asking you to reduce the rate that you love your children as if you could, or the way that you love your spouse. That's not what he's saying. He's talking about it. St. Augustine in, in Confessions put it this way. It's having a right ordering of our lives. A right ordering. Recognizing that uh, as he said, you know, a matter of fact, Aristotle and Aquinas said this as well, that, you know, there is a ultimate cause or a ultimate purpose, the, the teleos, of what motivates what we do. And for the Christian, that is to bring glory to God. So I love my wife even more because it brings glory to God. I love my children even more because it brings glory to God because not only because I feel it, but because I am commanded to because it is an act of loving God. I love Him with every type of love. And my passion for Him, my commitment, my devotion for Him affects every other relationship in my life. That's what it really means to love God with all of our heart, with all of our soul, and with all of our mind. Having it in the right order. I mean, and we understand that. Uh, we understand that a lot of times um, with our families, so often with our, our families, which brings us to the next point, positionally, we're in the right position uh, with, with God Himself. And as I follow Christ and I commit myself to Christ, 
It's a positional issue, isn't it? I've now become a child of God. I've now been identified with Christ. I now, as God looks at me, He sees Jesus, and He sees me in right standing with Him. He sees me as forgiven. It's like in our, in our family, like with our children, and I don't know that this is necessarily all good, but we all do it. It's like our child, especially when they're younger, you know, and they start playing t-ball. You know, my son's playing t-ball, and he, he makes a good play, and I'm so proud, and I don't really care if anybody recognizes my talent anymore. You know what I mean? It's like I'm okay being identified as Brock's dad. You know what I mean? It's like I give that up. I don't really care. I don't get in a big fight with him. Hey, what about me? Did you see what I did? Did you see the play I made? What about me? I mean, I don't really care about that anymore. I, like This is my... I'm taking on identity. And again, this can go way off kelter, by the way. Some of you, you know, your wives are nudging your husbands right now, okay? It, may, it could be scholastically. It can be an art or whatever. But we kind of are okay with giving up our identity if our children are doing well, right? And basically, that's, that's a very crude way of understanding what it looks like positionally. We are now in Christ. And when God looks at us, He sees and we have the favor because of the Son. Positionally, we are fully accepted. We are disciples of Christ. And when we can really grasp it, it is transformational. We can understand the passion that goes with that. Jesus is saying, He who would follow Me must pick up His cross and die. It's a crucifixion of the ego as we come into that right position. It's also, discipleship is unconditional. Unconditional. It's not, God, I'm going to follow You if I can do this, this, and this. That's what those people were saying. God, if You'll let me do this, this, and this, then I'll follow You. And Jesus said, no, I'm not taking your conditions. It, no, you're going to follow me unconditionally or don't come at all. Jesus says, or the Bible tells us in Galatians 2.20, that I have been crucified with Christ and yet I live. No longer Christ, but Christ who lives within me. No longer I, but Christ who lives within me and through me. There's the picture right there. There's the understanding right there. Jesus is saying, make your identity in me. Don't place anything priority-wise over me. Matter of fact, it's going to cost you. And, and many at some point in your life, and many of us understand that, and many of you understand that, because when you trusted Christ, maybe when it was time for you to be baptized, maybe you were from a different background, and that was very difficult because maybe your parents didn't approve. Maybe you had brothers or sisters who didn't approve. Maybe you had family who didn't approve. And that's exactly what God is talking about right here. He's saying you won't necessarily get approval. And I'm telling you that it may cost you approval of family, of friends. Don't put a condition on it. Don't say if. Say, I will. Count the cost as He shares at the end of this text. Lord, though you slay me, as Job said, yet I will trust you. And lastly, discipleship is a process. A process. Isn't it interesting that uh, what the symbol that Jesus uses is a cross? 
I mean, maybe you've probably heard this before. But it's kind of a morbid symbol when you think about it. I mean, it would be the equivalent to today of us putting a chain around our neck and having a gas chamber on it or a syringe, you know what I mean, like for lethal injection. I mean, if we saw somebody with a syringe hanging around their neck, we go, kids, come on over here. I mean, we, we'd think somebody was like way out there. But, yeah, that's what we do. We, today we wear, we wear crosses, and it, it was a picture of the most gruesome death possible. It's interesting that this was the marker that Jesus chose. He, he didn't choose a guillotine uh, where, you know, we'd be dead just like that or a sword, It'd go through your heart. You could have a quick, easy death, but it was crucifixion, which was slow and painful. You know, discipleship is a process. It doesn't happen instantaneously. It doesn't happen quickly. And sometimes it's painful. But isn't that the picture, though, that Jesus gives us through crucifixion, that it took time, it took effort, it took pain. No one would want to follow you. And isn't it interesting that Jesus continually makes this quote. He makes it six times in the gospel, more than any other quote he gives. He goes, anyone who does not carry his cross and come follow me cannot be my disciple. Anyone who does not take up the cross and follow me cannot be my disciple. Anyone who does not take up the cross and follow me cannot be my disciple. He who seeks to save his life will lose it, but he who loses his life for my sake shall find it. Again, he says, he who seeks to save his life will lose it, but he who loses his life for my sake shall find it. He who does not take up the cross and follow me cannot be my disciple. If this is the phrase that Jesus used more than any other phrase, if this is the statement, if this is the command, then I think it behooves us to recognize that this is what He wants most from us. To love Him with all our heart, soul, and mind. That there is no relationship that will come into my life that will supersede. It doesn't mean I have to love my parents less or love my wife less. matter of fact, I ought to love them more. Because it brings God glory. Because the love of Christ permeates every relationship I have. So here's the little test. If I ask you today, where are you spending your time? Where are you spending your money? If I looked at your checkbook, is there anything in your checkbook that would reflect your commitment to Christ? Again, we're not talking quantitatively. I'm not saying... You know, you got to do 90% of your time reading the Bible. That's not what I'm saying. I'm saying it should permeate everything that we do with our time. Our minds, what we read, what we learn, our affections, and our words. I was reading an article this week, and it said that in, in Great Britain, um, and, and I'm not picking on people from Great Britain, Matt, and some of you guys. All right, but um, in Great Britain... The study said that uh, the average person, if they live to age 70, they will have spent six months talking about the weather. Six months of their life will be spent discussing weather. In the United States, I promise you, it's about five months of your life, five and a half, maybe six and a half, is spent just talking about the weather. How many of your words are permeated? Or how many of your words have impact for the kingdom? How much of your time has impact for the kingdom? How much of your money has impact for a kingdom? How much of your mind impacts the kingdom? That's really more discipleship than learning facts. Facts are important. 
And if you need help in the discipleship process, we want to help you. You can mark that on the card. We'd love to do that. But here's the real question. Are you taking up the cross of Jesus in following Him unconditionally? Let's pray. Father, thank You for this time together this morning. Thank You, God, for these hard statements that certainly make us scratch our head and wonder sometimes. But, God, uh, you, You didn't try to hide anything. You got our attention. You got the attention of the people of that day. And You made the the commitment very clear that you were asking for. For better, for worse, for richer, for poor, in sickness and health, you ask for our lives in exchange you have given yours. I pray this morning, Lord, for anyone who has not made that commitment today, that you would draw them by the power of your Spirit. Lord, I thank you that it is by grace we're saved through faith. But that doesn't mean that life is easy. And sometimes commitment is hard. But we know that for your glory and through your Spirit, it is possible. And that you are most glorified when we are most faithful, even in difficult circumstances. So I pray today, Lord, that you would make us faith disciples, faithful disciples of your kingdom, so that you might receive glory. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen.